all the products and services you used today from the vehicle you commuted in to the food that you ate, what role did service design play in that? Today, we are honored to have Marie-Eve Belanger, the head of service and experience design at TELUS Health Virtual Care, as our guest. Join us as we unravel the world of service design, explore its impact on experiences, and discuss the challenges that drive innovation to the boundless opportunities that it presents. Get ready for an inspiring journey into the future of service design. Welcome to Mavericks and Machetes, the change navigation podcast where we figure out how organizations hack their way through the thick of change and disruption. My name is JQ, and I'll be your co-pilot. Each episode, we sit down with leaders to explore how they drive organizational transformation in the face of disruption and personal transformation in the face of adversity. We dig into how they grow through what they go through great clarity amidst chaos, and how they navigate their own career paths along the way. If you're ready, let's start swinging at these shrubs. Today, we have Marie Ev in the house. Beautiful, smiling Marie Ev. Hello. We are here to talk about the future of service design and I feel like there's no better person to talk to me about that because you have 18 years, 18 <laughs> years of service and experience design experience. So I feel like I'm asking this question to the right person. But to kick off for the listeners who are just hopping in, how would you explain service design to a five-year-old? <laughs> well, first off, thank you so much for having me today, Jay. I really appreciate the invite. And uh, great question to start with. So if you were five, I think I would start by an example a little bit. So maybe it would be something along the lines of, you know, the way that um, you interact with your teachers at daycare, right? So the types of games that you play, the types of snacks that you eat, when you're going to go for a nap, the different parks that you visit. So all of these things were chosen by someone, were selected by someone, maybe created by someone. Someone is a service designer. Um, and they're making sure that you're having a good time at daycare, right? So that's part of the role of the service designer. But also uh, what they do is they make sure that your teacher gets in at the right time. They know what they need to deal with you. Uh, they make sure that your food is fresh and that you, the park where you go is clean. Um, they make sure that your favorite game is available. So they also take care of all the stuff that needs to happen for your daycare to run really smoothly and so that you have a really good experience at daycare. So <laughs> I think that's, that's kind of how I would explain it. But if we take a step back, it's really about, if we wanted to translate it for, for us, it's really about how service design is really about being responsible for two things. On the first hand, it's really around the user experience, right? So that end user experience, well, not just strictly UX, but really the end user's experience with the organization and with um, the service and the product that they interact with. So that's the one part. 
And then the second part is everything that needs to come into into place in the organization for this service to be delivered. So that means all the processes, the the people and and the, the props really that need to be aligned so that the service is delivered to the user. So the remit of a service designer is actually quite large. And it's really about this balance between the front stage and and the backstage of of a service. And so it's making sure that both of them, uh, both of these stages work together and that you're aligning both sides so that you have on one hand that amazing user experience that also is profitable and viable for the business, right? So it's something where it's balancing those two things at the same time. And it's also taking... Uh, maybe a step back from product design or product experience. It's really about services. So there's this notion that services are also time bound, or there's this notion of time that is important. So it's about that user journey. It's about you as the daycare, as a kid, having a, a journey at the daycare and going there in the morning and and enjoying the day and and leaving at night. So it's the same thing for any other service. It's uh, it's not just a one and done, it's a collection of what we call touch points put together along a journey. So as a service designer, I'm responsible for that front stage, that backstage, but also that happens throughout time. And it's a collection of different touch points that I'm required to design. So it, it's really that 10,000 feet level of what's the overarching experience and that 10 feet level of that specific touch point, that snack that you ate today at daycare, how good was it? How can we make it better tomorrow? And and what needs to come into place for you to have that snack be the best that you've had, you little Jay, little five-year-old Jay? <laughs> I love that. I love that. I feel it's super timely because we just threw my daughter into daycare. <laughs> there you and, go. Uh, as we were looking, you know, at different daycares, we were assessing what the education was going to be like, what the food was going to be like, to your point about breaks. Um, So it feels like, I love that you went from like 10,000 foot view to 10 foot view. You're talking about how service design encompasses quite a lot. And and, and a few pieces you started to mention were user experience and, 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 you know, even user interfaces. And so I, I guess from your point of view, what are like the biggest buckets for service design, if I was to consider it? like top three to five? Well, That's interesting because there's often a lot of confusion between like UX and service design. So there is a, a big difference between those two. And there's as well other buckets, to your point, that are part of service design. So if I can tackle the first one, um, UX to me is it's part of service design. So as I was mentioning, there's a front stage and backstage. The front stage is the user experience, but it can you can also include in there not just UX because yes the front stage will include touch points that are digital like screens and 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 websites and and whatnot but it will also include a physical world so the space that you're in like if to go back to the daycare example that daycare that your kid is in uh, the interior decor the interior design and 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 just the spatial flow of things so it's not just UX designers that are responsible for that front stage, there's also architects, there's also interior designers, et cetera, that are part of that experience side of, of service design. Um, if we look at the other buckets, there's all these buckets that are perhaps more around the backstage. So that's where a lot of my service design colleagues 
sure there's a lot of UX designers, there's other uh, also other, a, a lot of other designers, but there's also a lot of business designers, a lot of process engineers, a lot of a lot of operations managers are as well that are uh, important buckets of disciplines that come together to uh, create a service. And it's interesting because the discipline is so nascent right now, there's a lot of folks doing service design without being called a service designer, but it's just that they're, they're, they have their own title, HR manager, process operations manager, and their remit is, uh, is very specific, but they were doing a part of service design. So that's what I would say in terms of the, the larger categories of work are around experience. And then you have the, the business process operations and, and roles as well that, that are really important to this whole collection of disciplines that, that is service design. I love that because it feels like, you know, regardless of my function within an organization, I could be very much putting on similar to like project management or change management or all of these like specialized, yeah. unique skill sets. Service design is another hat that I can put on. And within that, there's like an entire yeah. toolkit of pieces that, you know, maybe you could enlighten me. What would go into a service designer's toolkit? That's a question that I get asked often, and especially from a, let's say, other UX designers coming to me and asking, like, how can I become a service designer, right? Because I think what you're going to find is, as I mentioned, there's multiple disciplines that make up service design. So it's not common to find UX designers turned into service design or process engineers turned into, into service designers. So each of these uh, disciplines come, of course, with their own core skills and core capabilities. And it's important to have some of these spikes of knowledge in, in, in some of these these disciplines. Uh, but when people ask me, how can I become a service designer if I'm only a UX designer? I often ask them to seek skills and, and competencies in adjacent and relevant disciplines. So for me, I was a UX designer that actually built more competencies and skills into strategy, into process management, into information systems and technologies. And that's how I was able to bridge the gap a little bit, bridge that gap that I was talking about in terms of the front stage and the backstage. I was able to understand the backstage a bit more. So whereas a UX designer might be more into the front stage, I needed to build my skill set and my toolbox to get a bit more of the, the knowledge and vocabulary from the backstage. So that's one thing to to think about. But there's also core uh, core skills that are really relevant to new service designers that want to break it into the industry. I'm thinking about, in general, what you're going to find as a common trait amongst us is we all have uh, some knowledge and experience in user research. So really being able to uh, to talk to people and to understand their needs and and their wants and what they want to see uh, out of a service. So because at the core, service design, uh, because it's an experience-based discipline, it's all about problem solving for humans, for people, really pu putting people at the heart of the, of the problem and the solution. And so you need to interact with people, you need to do research with them. And so having empathy and having uh, experience in user-centered research really important if you're starting out in the field and on the flip side it's really through research and through talking to people you accumulate a lot of data a lot of knowledge so it's really ha about having that sharp analytical mind as well that is important making sense of 
large sets of information or knowing tools that can help you make sense of large sets of information. Super important so that you can actually distill it down to what people truly need and you can cut through the noise and find what truly users and, and stakeholders want out of the service. And so that to me is part of this larger kind of breed of thinking that is around systems thinking as well, right? So it's not just having that mm -hmm. analytical mind. It's really about thinking through problems that are uh, displayed within a systems. And um, just through the definition of service design, you can see that it's hitting so many nodes in a system. It's hitting not only the problems of that front stage and making sense of the, of the different touch points. But if you think about the backstage, it's all about the different components of things like billing, supporting, provisioning, figuring out roles, hiring, all of these things need to be thought about and any changes in this ecosystem will impact the other other things. So it's really, it, it's a discipline that requires you to have uh, that systems thinking as part of, of your background, at least as part of your mindset, so that you can understand how solutions can impact all of the uh, these elements that I mentioned and all of the other people's were uh, folks working in, in, in the service. Uh, and maybe this is a good way to to wrap this up as well. I think another good core skill is communication and people skills. So I touch a little bit on this with user research, but uh, most of my work as a service designer is, I would say 10% designing, 90% relating to others, 90% being in meetings, 90% mm -hmm. talking to a stakeholder, trying to socialize a project, trying to socialize my profession and making it seem worth it for them to invest in. It's socializing a solution or, or, or really a set of, of challenges. So being able to facilitate a meeting and facilitate a workshop and facilitate different discussions and modulating your approach depending on who's in front of you, whether it is a user or a C-suite person is extremely important. So you have to be kind of a, a, a social chameleon in a way. So I think that's those would be the, the kind of core skills that I would uh, that, I, that I typically see service designers who are successful have in the field currently. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Communication skills, systems thinking, users, user centered yeah. research, right? It feels like there are just so many key pieces. Let me, let me, you know, let me ask you this. Service design has been around since I want to say like the yeah. 1980s was when it was first coined. And from your point of view, would love to hear how you think the industry's evolved, maybe even from the lens of if I was to, you know, step into service design today, the landscape today and, and how I learn is so totally different, right? There's micro learning. There's the ability to dive right into a topic like like HCD or UCD, right? User-centered right. design, like systems thinking, et cetera. But um, how have you seen the industry evolved and how do you think that matters to mm -hmm. us today uh, as learners in 2023? So you're totally right. The The field has uh, started in the 80s. So it's it's really nascent. It's, it's pretty young. It's only 40 years old, roughly. Uh, what is interesting is that it was born out of the marketing and consultancy world. It was primarily formed uh, within the financial sector as well. So it, it's really interesting that there is this kind of 
consultant marketing aspect at, in the early service design work. And what is also interesting is that it's the early 80s, uh, meaning that it has its own suite of technologies. So there's not a lot of, of new tech, of course, in the 80s. So the solutions that are being worked on are more those kind of classic services that you're thinking about, these kind of intangible goods that are passed from person to person. So you're thinking about here, like service design projects that are more around customer support, customer service, a lot of projects around like catalog shopping, a lot of projects around banking, like going to a bank and, and interacting with that, the teller. So it was really more of a, an analog setup and approach back then. And of course, in terms of how the field has evolved, it has evolved because of the rise of technologies. Uh, a huge boost in maturity was gained when, uh, with the advancement of digital tech, with the advancement of the internet. That's where we saw that a few organizations actually clued in and saw that a few uh, that services could be delivered online, could be delivered digitally, and that this needed to be designed in. So perhaps some of the pioneers of the more modern or contemporary service design are these organizations that really saw the possibilities and opportunities that digital tech was bringing and kind of mixed that with the analog IRL journeys of people. So you're thinking about like Cardigo, Nike Plus, and there's Apple. Apple is always a good example, but Apple with iTunes and the iPod which really develop a, a, a digital and physical ecosystem. So they were doing service design without necessarily calling it service design, but there's still very good examples of, of how service design was able to gain in maturity and really helped the field grow in general. And so it's interesting for us and going back to your question around learning learners, the, the field of service design grew up at the same time as other discipline grew up. So UX and interaction design and other uh, digital only or uh, other disciplines that were enabled by the, the advancement of technologies. So that's interesting that those disciplines picked up at the same time. And at the same time, more and more learning opportunities happen. What is interesting is, especially in North America, uh, there it's, it took a long while before we've had any type of formal service design education in the field. It's really more the UX, UI, interaction design that really uh, grew and grew within the academic sector, both in terms of the more formal education of, of undergrads and grads, but also in terms of boot camps. We, we've seen the proliferation of, of boot camps and of other online learning. It's only till recently that we've uh, we've started seeing some of these approaches with service design, and I I think over the past three four years I could count maybe on my hands and toes the amount of boot camps and uh, and courses online courses around service design that I've seen uh, in in the wild. So it's interesting that we are catching up to some of those bootcamp formats that are so popular in UX and UI. And I think this is a really good, uh, a really good indicator of, as to how the field is doing and how much interest there is in, in this field and how, how much awareness and how it is recognized currently. So uh, we see a lot more of the perhaps more formal education institutions that are paying attention as well. And I know of a few 
colleges and universities that are developing undergrad programs and graduate programs. So it's interesting to see that trickling in into the oh, more cool. traditional educational institutions as well. So um, it's interesting how um, the the pendulum is swinging back into uh, the traditional institution where a lot of the uh, learning and teaching that was happening in service design was either through word of mouth, through on-the-job training, and and up till recently, like around boot camps or or workshops. And now, slowly, the industry is is actually catching on to that. Yeah, that's great. I feel like as uh, as more gets documented too, like I, I just think of like Lou Downs' um, yeah. Good Services book, and you know, over that's right. the NHS, and probably a lot of other examples too. Uh, any cool boot camps or schools that you've seen in North America that you're like, yes, you know, would would IDEO be be one or am I no, totally no? Off that, base? I think that's a um, that's a really a... good example, and I think IDEO you can trust them. It's a by now it's a household brand for folks who've been evolving in in the tech and, and digital design and, and design in, in general, and they're definitely pioneers in design thinking and service design. So I would definitely trust them. Um, it's interesting how there's, of course, a lot of uh, courses coming out of Europe that you can access in North America. So Lou Downs, great course that is available in North America. I would say uh, there's a few boot camps and, and not boot camps, but classes and courses that I can think of as part of U of T, Ryerson, and a few Toronto-based academic institutions as well that are changing the game for some of these students in undergrads and graduate programs. Uh, but what is uh, perhaps a downside is that, of course, you need to be enrolled in, in an undergrad or grad program to have access to it. And they're typically part of a larger degree of UX, UI, and it's not only focused on service design. Um, there's what is interesting is you'll see a lot of more grassroots workshops. So I know through Service Design Canada, the organization that I helped found a few years ago, we had a few workshops and events where people would be coming in and, and learning specific techniques and specific methods. Um, we've also hosted and the, the, the international organization linked to service design also hosted a lot of conferences that are really important to spread not only awareness about the discipline, but also spread some of these new techniques and methods uh, to a larger audience. And so, I think there, I would look into these places first to get an idea as to what is currently being available. Uh, but also back to what something I said earlier, service design is a collection of design disciplines. So I would also encourage newer designers to go and seek out core skills and competencies that might not be part of a service design bootcamp, but that is an important part of service design in general. So as I was mentioning, user research is incredibly important. There is an incredibly strong qualitative user research community across Canada that do put a lot of, uh, of effort into education. Uh, I think there's a community in Toronto called UXR, if I'm not mistaken, that does put out a lot of, of content and um, and workshops around this. So I would go and seek out that specialized knowledge and, and slowly thread together the core competencies that I need to uh, to become a service designer. Yeah. I love it. I love it. We have a path. We have a path. Have a path. Um, you brought up Service Design Canada, and I would love to highlight this. So it's the Canadian chapter of the Global Service Design Network. You were one of the founders. Tell us about the organization um, and how you set up the Canadian chapter from scratch. Like, how did you stumble into that? Uh, why was it important for you, along with the rest of the founders, 
to unite the profession here. So we we started uh, this chapter eight years ago now, eight years ago. Uh, and it was myself and my friends and partners, Chris Ferguson and Chad Story at the time. Still there, still co-founders, still working uh, on it uh, to this day. Um, and we have to think that eight years ago, uh, the climate or the discipline of service design in Canada was was not not just nascent it was almost unexistent there was there was not much happening a few organizations here and there and at the time chris myself and chad were working at a different organization chad and chris were at bridgeable i was at totem so we were part of the first organizations that had um, service design as a mandate and as a discipline and we would be selling our services to different organization in toronto and across canada so we knew each other from the toronto design community and at the time such a small community, especially the service design community, it was easy to know everyone. We were perhaps dozens, 20, 30. So it was easy to know everyone. And we really believe that service design was the way of the future in a way. So we really believe in the power of service design. And we saw what was happening in Europe. So Europe is definitely miles ahead of us in terms of maturity, in terms of maturity of the discipline, in terms of how they they have frameworks and approaches to build knowledge and build uh, junior designers into senior designers. There's a lot more there. And we were really in awe of what was happening in Europe. And uh, at that point, the international organization, so Service Design Network, already had run a few conferences internationally. And Chris and Chad came back from one of those conferences and, and reached out to me and said, listen, we, we need to start something here in Canada. We see something missing here. There is a gap. Uh, and we're not crazy. This is something that is needed in Canada. We think that this is the way of the future in terms of how to make business better and how to make services better and more user-friendly and more human-centric. So uh, we decided to just go ahead and found something, right? So for us, it was a way to uh, make sure that we would bring a bit more awareness to the discipline across Canada because at that point, eight years ago, it was pretty hard to find clients. So I was responsible for my own department at the time and same for Chad and Chris. So it was hard to find clients because it was really little awareness of what service design is. And if, how do I, if I don't know about it, how will I buy something I don't know about? So we wanted to make sure that we could build this awareness both for uh, for clients, but also for us to find new talent and recruit new talents for our own organization. So especially at the time with the limited learning options that we have in Canada, there was no, not a lot of folks calling themselves service designers. So it was really a way for us to bring up the awareness and hopefully be able to mentor or, or help coach the next generation of service designers. So these were really some of the ideals behind all of, uh, all of this. So uh, we, in, I think it's in early 2016, we decided to found Service Design Canada, which is yeah, the, the Canadian chapter of Service Design Network. And it started in Toronto. I think the first meeting was the three of us plus, I would say, 12 to 15 other service designers in one room. Essentially, the whole Toronto community just trying to brainstorm ways of making this happen and trying to understand, like, what do we need to make this a reality? Is this going to work? A lot of uh, apprehensions, of course, uh, but a lot of trepidation, especially as we aligned and agreed on 
uh, our way forward. So for us, it was really important to uh, to raise awareness and, as I mentioned, bring up the next generation through events. So we wanted to have a strategy that was mostly focused on events. So our first events event was in 2016. We did a few workshops. We did a service safari workshop. And then slowly after we launched into the organization. I love that. I love that. This This podcast is all about progress, not perfection, and how you activate leadership without not necessarily always knowing where you're yeah. going to go. And to your point in 2016, where you're like, this seems pretty cool. Let's yeah. just hop in and figure it out along the way, right? You had your mandate, which was so clear. How do, how do you educate? How do you bring awareness? Right. And would you say now at this point, the industry's evolved to a point where the demand's high for both services and talent? Where do you think the future of service design is going to be? It's interesting because, yeah, we're, we're definitely doing better. Uh, we've definitely leveled up in maturity and awareness, but we're still not fully there yet. So I, I think other adjacent disciplines like QX, UI, uh, and, and other components of service designs do have a lot more attention put on them. So uh, I, I think we see more and more service design roles and, and companies contracting out service design, but I think there's still a lot to be done in the Canadian market to be to par even with with Europe because Europe, I, as I mentioned, I think they're they're probably ten to fifteen years ahead of us. So I think uh, another challenge is definitely education. Like we mentioned, uh, we need to have more formalization of education in the Canadian market uh, because what we see is uh, sometimes the quality of work or the quality of work coming out of service design can suffer um, because service design is is not something that is only acquired through one or two workshops. You need to work at it. Of course, I think workshops and boot camps can get you really key fundamental uh, core uh, skills and, and capabilities. But there's a lot that you can learn only through sustained commitment, through sustained implication, and through sustained programs. So I think that's one thing that for us is is still very important is to root for and and almost lobby for more formal education in in service design so that we can see better and better quality of of work in the industry and then another thing that for us is is actually interesting is for a lot of the larger organizations are perhaps not ready yet so maybe that's also something a barrier to awareness but what we see in especially larger organization is there's still a bit of mindset that needs to be shifted uh, so it's really hard to break that mentality of product versus service of one point versus a more kind of time bound uh, journey. Uh, there's a lot of attempts at shifting this, but I would say that, and within Canada, I think we're doing better and better. I see a lot of more large organizations in the financial sector, in the health sector that do have real service design teams within, uh, but it's we're not there fully yet. And I think there's still a lot of more work to be done to shift to a journey specific or a journey focus type of thinking to get service design to, to be flooding the industry. Yeah. No kidding. Especially as you push towards, you know, end to end journeys, right? The whole experience, right. what, where are all of the different touch points and how do our products interact at every single exactly. one? So, and that's what you're, yeah. that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing with Service Design Canada. Yeah. I love that. 
Before you go, one last question. Honestly, I feel like I've learned a ton about service safaris and service design jams and your background. But last question, when I think about great product design or service design, naturally Apple and the iPhone have been raved about, right, for ages. You brought it up earlier. Is there a product or a service that you could not live without? That is a tough question to answer. And uh, I think I have an answer, but maybe maybe let me preface this answer by saying that really good services and really good services, I was going to say really good products, but I think really good services specifically are typically invisible and you shouldn't see them. If you see them or if you feel them, then as Mm. a service designer, I did not do my jobs. That means that something is going bad somewhere. So that's why like reflecting on this, is there a service that I wouldn't live without? It's really hard to say because there's so many services that are invisible that I'm using every day that are running really well. But that being said, and I think there's probably a general category of services that really impresses me. And uh, I would say maybe this is biased, but healthcare in general, right? So technology has really revolutionized healthcare and um, definitely bias here because I am working in the healthcare sector and I think telemedicine specifically has been um, such a great milestone in our healthcare industry and in the services that the healthcare industry provides as well. And it really has pushed the public system to modernize and catch up. So uh, yeah. maybe just a random example. So I, I, I had to get something checked out the other day. Uh, I went on uh, our telemedicine app. So I went on Telehealth Virtual Care, which is the um, the app that I work for. And I, I went there, I consulted with a nurse a practitioner. And what was really interesting is how from this moment, everything fell into place. So she sent a referral to a specialist. I got as well a requisition for a blood draw. Um, she sent her notes to my family doctor. And then when I had a follow-up with my family doctor two weeks after, they had the results from the blood draw, they had the results from the specialists, and they had the notes from the nurse practitioner. So just that service of from private to public, from the communication between the different systems, the different between the, the communication between the different technologies, to me, this is a revolution happening right now. And there's just, I know that I'm working from the, on the private sector side, and there's a lot happening here, but I have a lot of colleagues working on the public sector side of healthcare who are doing such tremendous work to modernize a lot of these institutions, modernize a lot of these processes. And I think it's because we have service design working on uh, service designers working on both sides that we can actually have great services uh, and, and services that are enabled through digital technology. So uh, I guess that's tooting my own horn a little bit, but I would say healthcare services in, in general are really impressive for me right now in Canada. I love it. No, toot <laughs> your own horn. Toot it. I honestly, yeah, preach. That's so important when I think about impact that's measurable, right? That's uh, meaningful, right? Healthcare definitely been one. And and you and I worked together yeah. for, for quite a while. And, you know, I fully agree completely that all of the pieces behind the scenes that you can't see that make my experience as a patient, as a uh-huh. citizen, seamless you know you're doing a good thing when like that's what exactly. you're working on, you know? Yeah. So Maria, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Any parting words of advice for 
the aspiring service I designer? I think uh, continue to focus on core skills. Don't hesitate to look outside of your discipline. Build those other skills from the front stage to the backstage and find your tribe. Really networking with the right people will bring you really far. And I think that's those are the words that I would leave to uh, junior service designers or people just entering the field. Don't be afraid to go outside what is comfortable for you. So thank you so much, Jay, for having me today. Love it. As we draw the curtains on this captivating episode, Marie Eves' illuminating insights have unraveled the distinction between UX and service design, showcasing the diverse range of talents that compose this transformative discipline. To all aspiring service designers, her words of wisdom echo. Focus on core skills, venture beyond your comfort zone, and build a network of like-minded individuals to unlock boundless opportunities. Thank you for joining us today, and remember, together, we are designing a better, brighter future. Stay tuned with me for more inspiring conversations with visionary leaders shaping the world of innovation.